pointing the way towards freedom in an unfree world. Welcome to The Liberty Effect with Ammon Bundy. Welcome to The Liberty Effect. Uh, this is your host, Ammon Bundy. And uh, I'm grateful you're here today. I'm grateful you're listening. And hopefully we can do some good. Uh, I hate to waste your time. I am, however, going to do something that I haven't done before. And I'm going to go through my news feed here, um, kind of back and forth, uh, and talk about what's on the radar, at least what's coming at me and what I read. Because it's interesting because there's a, there's a whole variety of things. And I think they're all interesting, well, at least at some point interesting. And maybe some of them we'll dive into a little bit more. And um, so the first one here is actually uh, an uh, article by the 10th Amendment Center, which is actually a very great organization. I have met the founder of the 10th Amendment uh, Center. I've, I apologize. I forgot his name, but I have met him. Uh, I've talked to them several times. This was m several years ago that I, I met him, and, I, and they've done a lot of good. And they have an article here called uh, Back to Nothing. And the title head is U.S. Federal Reserve Notes, Money Backed by Nothing. Uh, anyway, I think many people know that but you we do realize right that the u.s dollar as printed is basically means nothing they've got a picture here of a 20 dollar bill and a 50 dollar bill and it's in a in a toilet and uh it's about ready to be flushed and that that is the reality um there's a lot of history behind uh our money being backed by nothing uh and uh, and it's an interesting history because it started actually right after World War II when the U.S. dollar became the world currency. Now, the thing about being the world currency, and that's basically what everybody else's bases their currency on, um, uh, it puts you in a very powerful and trusted position. Uh, because now everybody's labor is based upon uh, the value of a dollar um, or value of whatever currency is the world currency. And since our dollar has become worth almost nothing, in fact, it's backed by nothing. I, I shouldn't say it's worth nothing. That's not correct. But because it's not backed by anything, that basically it, it, its value is questionable. And as long as the world is willing to use the dollar as the world currency, then the, the nation in which currency is being used uh, gets to basically benefit from printing dollars, being able to use those printed papers to buy products from all over the world and bring them to the, the you know, in this case, the United States and use it as if it only meant what what the dollar was. But in reality, uh, at any time, if the dollar is not backed by anything, uh, well, actually what it does, it actually creates where the rest of the world actually becomes uh, less wealthy and less wealthy and wealth, less wealthy. And the country who 
prints the money, becomes more wealthy and more wealthy, and that's basically what it does. It, it kind of, in a way, if you don't back the dollar by, say, gold or something to that effect, then or the currency, then you actually uh, impoverish all those that you're buying products from, and you actually enrich yourself. Uh, so that certainly happened. That's kind of a uh, summary of that. So I find that interesting. That's a, an article that you can go to if you go to the Tenth Amendment Center dot com, and you can read a lot more about that. Uh, starting in World War II, we won the war. We helped win the war. The world trusted us. We began to use the dollar as a world currency. Then in the seventies, the mid seventies, with Nixon, he uh, basically. Uh, well, we overprinted, and then when France and a few others wanted to, bat, you know, get uh, the gold for their dollar, then he left the gold standard, and and it's just gone downhill from there. Um, all right, next uh, article here. Let's look here. This is this is one from the uh, MSLegal.org, and it says BLM de devastating. Idaho family's ranching legacy. Uh, that one, of course, came to me because someone wanted me to have that and wanted me to read it. It's very interesting. It's not a long article, but it's all about how the Bureau of Land Management uh, won't give this ranching family, who's been in the ranching business for multiple generations, won't give them a permit. And it's, it's so uh, comical to me because the article continues to say that uh, that this ranching family has ranching rights, but the Bureau of Land Management won't give them a permit to graze, grazing rights, actually. And so the question that I rose and, and asked, and I've asked this all over for many, many years, but and my dad's been asking it for several decades, and that is how can it be a grazing right if the BLM can decide when or if the ranchers can use it or not? And because that sounds more like a grazing privilege, right? Remember what's happening to our country. The bureaucrats are taking our rights and they're trying to turn them into privileges. They're trying to say that they have the, they have the authority to say when or you can't use it and when you can use it. Well, by definition, if bureaucrats have the authority to say when or uh, or what or how and all uh, you can use this, then it's a privilege. It's not a right. But uh, we know better than that. But, you know, uh, this, the way the Bureau of Land Management is treating the U.S. Forest Service, Fish and Wildlife, all of the federal agencies are treating the land in the West and those who own rights to it, they're treating them like, the ranchers and the loggers, miners are only own privileges, which is incorrect. You go back into the old titles, you do a title chain, go into the records, and you'll see that these rights, grazing rights, mining rights, even logging rights, they're rights. They were established by prior appropriation and beneficial use. They were deeded. They're a vested property. And no agency, especially from the federal government, has any authority to come and tell you how you can use them. So uh, anyway, interesting enough. So uh, I, I, you know, I ended up saying that the BLM has no authority 
to restrict or regulate these ranchers' rights after statehood. And I and I referenced United States Constitution, uh, Article 1817. And then this is the kicker and kind of the piece because the ranchers in the West have been warned and shown what to do about this, but they still run to the federal courts and beg for permission to use the rights that, that, that already belong to them. And this is what this ranching family is doing, you know, is running to the federal court and trying to sue the Bureau of Land Management and asking the judge if they can use their rights or not. And uh, it's just not going to work and never has. So that's an interesting uh, article there. Again, that's from mslegal.org if you're interested in in uh, reading that. Another one from the Idaho Statesman. You can go to idahostatesman.com. And the title is, He Once Led the 3% of Idaho. Now He's Losing His Rights to Own and Possess a Firearm. And uh, this is Brandon Curtis, if you if you don't know. And he uh, basically led and, and, and built up the 3% centers of Idaho. And uh, he was at the, you know, refuge supporting. I know him personally. I've met with him, you know, many times with him and his wife, Brooke. Uh, but they, again, you know, they, they basically took the power that they had and their business and they didn't, they weren't able to not be corrupt with it. And so many people complained. And ultimately now I think he's getting uh, charged with some type of theft. Hang on, let me look here. Uh, uh, it was, uh, uh, pled guilty to a felony count of grand theft in Ada County. And he, it's through his property management company where he basically, uh, shorted people almost a hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, if you're a criminal and you take the life, liberty or property from people, then you should be punished. I really wonder here though, if the prosecutors in this case actually, uh, just made a whole bunch of money prosecuting uh, Brandon, or if they're actually going to uh, make sure that the uh, that the uh, those who were sh shorted by him, if they were actually going to get restored, because as you know, our federal government's really good at accusing and taking, but very bad at making sure that whoever the victim is restores gets their damages restored back to them. Hey, we'll come back. Uh, we just need to take a little break here. Alrighty, thank you uh, for listening to the Liberty Effect. Um, I am going down through my news feed here and you know, just kind of cherry picking some things to talk about. Haven't done this before, but felt it was it would be a good exercise and maybe be interesting to you. And we'd cover a whole scope of, of different topics, maybe drill down to them a little bit. Um, next one here is an article, again, from the Tenth Amendment Center. Uh, this one is on their blog. So if you go to blog.tenthamendmentcenter.com, in fact, I think you can just go to Tenth Amendment Center. Uh, com and bring this up. Interesting. This heading is called Trump. Trump, excuse me. Trump administration 
starts fiscal year 2020 with an even, even bigger deficit. And, uh, you know, this article is very interesting. I read it. Uh, it starts out, it says, if you hope the Trump administration would take some kind of action to slow down spending after running the biggest budget deficit in seven years in fiscal year 2019, you'd be disappointed. In fact, the administration ramped up spending for the first month of fiscal year 2020 or in the first month of fiscal year 2020. The federal government is on track for a $1 trillion plus budget shortfall this year. And then added, was my words, that said nothing changed. So nothing has changed. I mean, I was hoping that uh, you know Trump would be able to, as a businessman, I mean, what, one of the, of course, I was incarcerated when Trump was elected, so I wasn't able to um, vote for him. Or maybe I would have voted for Hillary. I'm just joking. I wouldn't have voted for Hillary. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I didn't get a chance to vote anyway. Uh, I was being treated like I was a felon when I was an uh, innocent man and uh, was in – actually, when Trump was elected – during the, uh, I was actually in SeaTac uh, prison, uh, which is between Seattle, Washington, and Tacoma, Washington, and they had actually hit us there after our trial when we were acquitted on all, all charges in Oregon. They they kind of didn't know what to do with us, and and they didn't. The uh, Multnomah County Jail didn't want us there. I was raising too much, you know, publicity and too many people protesting and all of that. And so they they tried to hide us and they literally put us in this paddy wagon and drove us all the way up to Seattle to SeaTac and kicked us out there. No one knew where we were going. No one knew where we were at. When we got there, they wouldn't let us make phone calls. And finally, one of the inmates used his phone call and called I believe it was uh, Ryan's wife, Angie, and let the cat out of the bag. And then, oh, man, that poor inmate got in trouble for that. But uh, so next thing you know, SeaTac uh, had uh, protesters outside of it, uh, you know, uh, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, but because they knew we were there. And uh, that it was during that time that Trump was elected. And um, we didn't get a vote. We, there's no way we could have. You know, they say that if you're not convicted, uh, that you can vote inside a prison, but it's it's just impractical. You can't practically vote, especially in the situation we were in, locked down the way we were, being kind of hidden. Anyway, uh, but if I was to vote, that was a long uh, rabbit hole, right? But if I was to vote. I most I would have voted for Trump and I would have voted him for one of the main reasons because I would have you know obviously he's a businessman he's a successful businessman he's someone who you would think understands money on a a high executive level and you would have uh, I would have hoped that he would have taken this 21 trillion dollar uh debt that we as a as a nation are in uh, by the federal government, uh, and and tried to bring that down. I mean, if he was really aggressive 
you know, Obama uh, jumped it up. What, like, I think it was eight or nine trillion. Well, if he could jump it up eight or nine trillion, uh, then why couldn't uh, Trump uh, minimize it eight or nine trillion? But instead, we see here by this report from the the 10th Amendment Center, which I completely trust this report. I trust the 10th, 10th Amendment Center. They are a great organization, honest, true, very uh, founded, very factual, got a, a tremendous uh, uh, base underneath them, and very principled. And so I, I have every reason to believe that this report is correct. I, I have every reason to believe that the 10th Amendment Center and the reporter that did this uh, did their homework. And so, uh, so in fact, I, I do believe that uh, Trump's 2020 fiscal year budget uh, is on track to increase the deficit uh, uh, by – by a, a trillion dollars. So now what are we going to be at? 22, 23 trillion? I mean, you can't keep going as a nation. You can't. Trillion. I mean, does anybody, ha can anybody even fathom a billion dollars? Right? I mean, can you fathom a hundred, hundred million? Because they spent a hundred million prosecuting us. Uh, that was the budget. And and I think that was the entire thing. But some have raised, well, that was just Oregon and Nevada was another. I don't know that that is true, but we do know a hundred hundred million, but a trillion, about a billion and then a trillion. I mean, it's, 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 it's infathomable. We can't even, we can't even uh, wrap our minds about around that. And yet Trump's increasing it. Uh, where, where's our businessman? Where's where's our making America great again? Where is where is our minimizing uh, government, especially the federal government? You know, it's supposed to be the smallest government, not the biggest. Anyway, it, it's it's very uh, I don't know, it's disgusting to me. It's it's demoralizing because they're taking this from the American people, or and not or and they're printing the money and further indebting the rest of the world so that they can do the things that they want to do and it's so irresponsible it's so uh immoral unjust and yet our president and the past president and you know uh, obama spent more money in his presidency than all the other presidents combined up to his time and uh, and uh, President Trump obviously likes uh, the budget that uh, Obama set. And in fact, he's going to take that budget and increase it by a trillion plus dollars. So uh, what do we say? What do we do? Um, let's see. Another audit. Oh, this is interesting. I don't know much about it. But audit of the Federal Bureau of Investigations managed of its Confidential human source validation process. Yeah, right. Who's going to audit them? Oh, the Office of the Inspector General, the U.S. Department of Justice. <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because you understand that the U.S. Department of Justice, right, is the the basically the mother uh, entity or uh, that of the of the FBI. So 
The FAI falls under U.S. Department of Justice. You know, the U.S. Attorney's Office falls under the U.S. Department of Justice. And so basically what we have is the U.S. Department of Justice inspecting itself. And they're going to create an internal audit investigation. <laughs> oh, it just makes me laugh. So um, anyway, I, I've got to... I got to go to break here in just a little bit, but I have a question for you that was asked um, here on the feed. And it says, I'm curious to your thoughts. Should people be forced to register their vehicles with the state before they can drive on the roads? So I'll leave you with that. Should people be forced to register their vehicles with the state before they can drive them on the roads? here on the Liberty Effect. Uh, one more segment with Ammon Bundy. And uh, I guess that's me. It's I always find it strange saying my own name like a third press person. But here I am. Um, and we've been going down through my ne news feed. Very interesting stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, before I left, we asked the question, uh, should – let me get back to that question exactly – um, should we be required to uh, register our vehicles or our uh, to be able to ride on drive on the road? But I, but it was said in a way right here. Uh, should people be forced to register their vehicles with the state before they can drive them on the roads? And uh, this was actually one of uh, posts that I did, and uh, had hundreds and hundreds of comments on it. And it's it's very interesting in in my view because when it comes down to the principles like actual freedom, well, if you want to go visit your family, right, and they live a long ways away, and you need to get in your property that you bought and you paid for, um, or you're buying, and to be able to go visit your family. And then you have to have a way, a path to get there, correct? Um, should Is that a right or is that a privilege? Talked about rights or privileges. Is that a right? I mean, to go visit, say, your parents or your children or your siblings or family or maybe just go to work and back or maybe to go down and get groceries and then come back to your house uh, to shop. Is that a right or a privilege? Because remember, um, it's not a right if you have to get permission to do it. And registration, licensing, permits, those are all uh, mechanisms of permission where you have to get – where you're getting permission from somebody. Uh, usually it's the government, but permits aren't always. Like if you're doing something on private property where you have to get permission from the owners – and sometimes given situations, they may have a permit process that you have to go through. Well, all that is is getting permission from the owner to basically use or, or be on or whatever his rights, his property. So 
but is it a right to be able to get in your vehicle and go down the road to be able to get groceries and back or to visit family and back? Or is that a privilege? Remember, if it's a privilege, it can be taken away. Uh, it can be justifiably taken away. So that, that's the question. Should people be forced to register their vehicles with the state before they can drive them on the roads? And uh, I pose that question to you, I guess. Uh, you probably can uh, under, you know, know where I stand because I say that if, if you have to register your vehicle before you can drive it on the road, to go, then it then it's a privilege, and I don't believe going and visiting your family and using your property uh, to do that, which would be a you know a vehicle. Uh, I don't believe that that is a privilege. I believe it's a right. I believe it's a fundamental right. Actually, I believe that you know to be able to go down and to get food for your family um, at the practical place in which you have to do it these days, which is typically a grocery store. I believe that that is a right, a right to feed your family. It's not a privilege. And I also believe that going to work and trading and all of those things are necessary to live. And I believe that is a right too. And I think that the government has overstepped its bounds. Uh, there is a full history on registration. It was actually started to basically as a way in which people could basically claim and register their vehicles with, with the, the state so that if it was ever stolen or if there was any dispute, it could easily be uh, you know uh, identified, the claim. So the government, the state was actually assisting the individual in claiming their property. But now they've taken it to a whole new level and said, oh, now you have to register it. You have to pay us to register it, and you can't drive it on the roads unless you register it. So again, they've taken something that was originally good, beneficial to the people, so that they could re uh, register or so that they can claim their property in case it was in dispute, uh, and so that they could protect and defend their property. They've taken that and turned it into a revenue generator and forcibly uh, controlled people and taken their rights to travel away. All right, let's move on here. Uh, this is an interesting one, uh, kind of sad. Got to get down here because I saw a room in here. There's a picture of a room, and uh, where is it at? I apologize. Anyway, it's a room, you see it, and it has a bunch of uh, blue padding on it. Now, I have seen these rooms before. Um, I, I have seen them in the prisons, and it's a terrible thing. Um, they called them dry rooms in the prisons, and basically it would throw somebody in there that they wanted to either discipline or that they – uh, didn't trust for some other reason, and there's there's no bathrooms, there's no nothing. It's just a padded wall, and it had a little hole in the bottom of the floor. And I one time when I was in uh, Henderson, they kept us in the holding cells for 15 days. These are not cells that are meant to be lived in. They're cells that were meant to bring uh, 
people in and put them in there temporarily while they book them. And they kept my brother and I in there for, I think, 15 or 17 days. Um, and, you know, no showers, no change of clothes. They did feed us, no pit beds, uh, concrete. The lights are on the entire time. Um, very cold. Uh, and we were in those uh, while we were going to trial for the first 15 days of our trial. And across the way, there was a couple of these dry rooms. And one of uh, these dry rooms, well, several of them I saw, but one of them, they put a young girl in there. I mean, I would be surprised if she was 20 years old. They put her in there and she kept crying because she needed a drink. And they refused, you know, they would eventually give her a drink, but they refused for hours and hours. And then she needed to go to the bathroom. And the officers were like, well, that, that's what that hole in the, in the middle of the floor is for. And uh, they never did take her to the bathroom. So evidently she had to use that. And uh, she was in there for uh, days and days, actually, and crying. And, you know, I, I felt ter terrible for her. Well, anyhow, the shocking thing about uh, this picture is here um, is that it's not in a prison. This picture of this padded room uh, it has blue padding on the walls is actually in a, um, in a school, a public school and they're calling it a quiet room. That's what they're call calling it, a quiet room. And this is where they are putting the students in there that I guess won't comply to them. They're putting them in there and, and, uh, disciplining them, I guess, uh, and ca causing these children to have to be in there. Now I'll say one thing about public schools is, you know, most kids go to public schools because they want to socialize with their friends, not to get educated. Uh, but the number one thing that's being taught in public schools is obedience to authority. That is the number one thing that is for sure from the beginning, from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. Uh, the number one thing that is being taught every day, every moment, every class, every activity is compliance to authority and, and to obey authority. And uh, I find it actually not uh, surprising that they would revert to these quiet rooms, which look very, very much like these dry rooms that I saw in prisons. Okay, moving down here, uh, this is an interesting, Oregon mismanaged state forests, owes counties one billion. A Lynn County jury has decided. Huh. I haven't read that article, but we certainly can see that all over. We certainly can see where the federal government is, uh, um, you know, burning up the entire West with their no use policies. They're allowing the forests to overgrow, they're, because they're not logging them, they're allowing the undergrowth uh, and the brush to come up because they're not grazing it, and then they create these huge, huge, huge fires. But it's all based upon the no-use policy so man cannot use it because these environmentalists are against man. And uh, anyway, we'll look down this, uh, this list even further here after this break.
are here on the last segment of the Liberty Effect. Um, again, I thank you for your time. Grateful for uh, the time that you spend here with me. Um, I've been going down through uh, the news feed and finding it really, really interesting uh, and thought that it would be just a great thing to talk about. Uh, let's let's look here. Um, 2018 North Idaho wolf hunting. Uh, there's a picture of a man who shot two wolves in Idaho. And I don't know if you know, but, you know, obviously the environmentalists, well, not obviously, but they uh, basically introduced wolves into the Idaho forests. Uh, they did that through the enforcement of the federal government. And uh, now the, the, you know, the wolf is such a predator and they run in packs and they're extremely smart. And so they've devastated the elk population up here. But now they're getting so popular that, you know, it's open hunt. You don't have to, you know, draw or really, you just go basically get a hunting license, like almost like a predator's tag now. So it's becoming quite a popular thing to do, but very difficult to hunt wolf. And, uh, but they're even now calling them in and they're starting to be successful about getting them. And to be honest with you, they're not native of this country. And I hope they wipe them all out, every single one of them, uh, because they're they're a terrible predator, and they're so smart, and they reproduce so fast, and they're not native in any way to this country, and I hope they wipe them completely out. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's places that they can uh, reside, but in Idaho, I don't I don't find any room for them. Uh, Right here, the humansarefree.com. This is case close. It says, JFK killed after shutting down Rothschild's Federal Reserve. I've heard this many times. I find this interesting. They, you know, they say that the reason why John F. Kennedy was shot was not because of some uh, wacko, radical uh, individual that got a sniper rifle, but that it was actually a setup because what did John F. Kennedy want to do? He wanted to oust the central banks and go back to the gold standard or, you know, stick with the gold standard. And, uh, anyway, they killed him for it. At least that's what uh, is believed. That's what this article is about. Uh, I can't tell you for sure. I haven't done enough research on it. Another article here, undergroundreporter.org. Um, it's titled, Maybe Abolishing America's Police Forces Isn't a cra isn't as Crazy as It Sounds. Now, uh, this is very interesting because most Americans believe that the policing in this country has always been done by a hired, basically, standing army. Now, when I say standing army, you might think, oh, that's crazy that you would call our police forces standing armies. Well, first of all, have you seen the way they're dressed nowadays? Have you seen the way the military dress and the way they're dressed? They are by definition, according to the founders, I mean, by exact definition, they are a standing army. And we were warned many times in our from our founders founding documents historic historically we have been warned about 
a, a, a people being employed to basically enforce and uh, basically a force of people that is being employed full time. Uh, and that is called the standing army because always, always they begin to enforce the elitist um, desires. Uh, they begin to basically become the enforcement arms of special interest groups um, uh, for the elitists. And that's basically what they, what they become. And they become, in every case in history, they become the ones that are the takers of, of liberty. And they are all the, also become the ones that have to be fought against in order to uh, restore individual liberty to a people and to a nation, always. So we were warned about standing armies. And I think that's what this article is kind of saying. Maybe abolishing America's police forces isn't, a, isn't as crazy as it sounds. Well, then you might say, oh, well, how are we going to enforce law? Well, let's look at our history. Let's look at the history of this country. So I'll just give you a little bit of a basic idea. And that is we in each county, right? And this country is broken up into hundreds and hundreds. I don't know how many, you know, thousands of counties, but uh, I don't know that number. But I actually heard it once. I think it's like 33 or 3,400 uh, counties, but I may be way off on that. So we actually, as counties, we elect a law enforcement officer. We elect, elect somebody and we give our power. We give our arresting, the people's arresting and policing power to an individual that we elect. And we, and we call him the county sheriff. And he, he can uh, function quite efficiently. Uh, the reason why is because he can deputize. And he doesn't need to go deputize a whole bunch of full-time uh, employees, full-time deputies, and pay them, you know, a bunch of money and uh, give them a bunch of benefits and give them a pension and all of that and make sure that they are busy running around giving people tickets on the road uh, for frivolous things and, you know, making sure that, oh, they kick in all these doors and make sure people don't do drugs, you know, uh, that because that's what they're doing, you know, that's, they're not – no, there's a better way. He doesn't have to employ a bunch of people. What he does is he can be very small and just have a very few people. And then whenever he needs somebody, he can deputize. You know, he can, if he wants a posse, have a posse that's volunteered uh, to be trained and all that, they can do that. But he can deputize anybody and everybody in the county. And so if he needs more force to go, you know, actually drive off a criminal or to apprehend a true criminal, I'm not talking about a, a, someone who does drugs. That's not a true criminal. If he harms himself, right, then he's not a true criminal. That if he harms somebody else, if he steals somebody else's property, if he takes somebody else's liberty, uh, that then that person is a criminal, and uh, and it is the duty of the sheriff to go and bring justice to that situation. 
meaning to apprehend the person and bring them to the to the judicial process, to the to the courts, which are not run the way they're supposed to either. But at this point, but he's supposed to bring them, bring them to the uh, to be to have justice administered. And you know he can run really uh, thin. And if there's ever an issue where he needs more people, he can go deputize. And that's the way it was supposed to be done. We weren't supposed to have standing armies with hundreds of thousands of people on every level of government where we have city police and county police and state police and federal police. And each one of them has their own divisions and investigators and depart, you know, department this and department that. And toward the point where you got the Bureau of Land Management who has its own law enforcement division, and they're fully funded with basically military-type uh, 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 equipment, and they function on that. I mean, it is crazy what's happening. And it is has happened before in history, and those people, the full-time enforcement branches, which are a standing army, uh, are the ones who end up being the takers of liberty and the enforcers for those takers of liberty. They are the danger. No one else is. The red flag laws, they, they will be enforced and are being enforced by the standing army. Uh, what we saw at the Bundy Ranch with the Bureau of Land Management, uh, 213 armed men, full tactical helicopters, M-Rams, full gear, everything bearing down upon the American people. They are the standing army. I could go on and on and on about standing armies and how we really don't need them. So I think this article is right. Maybe abolishing America's police forces isn't as crazy as it sounds. No, to me, it's not crazy at all. Not crazy at all. So anyway, uh, there we have it. I'm grateful again for you listening. I hope that we have talked about something that, that has brought uh, awareness to you. And until the next time, this is Sam and Bundy on the Liberty Effect. <laughs>